Now, I don't uh, know what your reaction is to being at a baptism. For some people, I remember when I got baptised, it was quite a long time ago now, I remember asking some of my friends to come, and they said, oh, well, I'm not really sure because I'm not a religious person. That was said both positively and negatively. So some people were like, ooh, um, uh, you know, I wish I had your faith. Other people were like, oh, no, I'm not a religious person in the sense of they were like, oh, no, I don't have head lice. You know, is that type of, no, I'm not, I'm not with that. Well, we at Christ Church are looking together at the story of the earliest church in the book of the Bible called Acts. And there were some people in the earliest church who still thought that way. They still thought, oh, we are the religious people. And these new people in the church, they don't really seem to be like that. And we have a problem. They need to get a bit more religious. And these new people, they were very spiritually alive. They were sending people into the world to spread the message and to fight injustice. But they're not really our type. So the religious types headed down to this new church and they led with the toughest of religious rules. They were like, if you really want to be part of the church, you've got to get circumcised. Well, that's certainly a test of anyone's commitment, isn't it? That was a religious marker for them, and they said, you need to get that religious marker too. Do you see what's going on? They were saying, oh, you're not the religious type, so you need to get a bit more like a religious type. And people who like, you know, self-torture, weird ritual, you need to become a bit more like that. Now, if that's what you're here thinking today, for whatever reason, you're thinking, well, the baptism thing is fine for my friend or fine for my family member, but I'm not really the type for that. The earliest church would disagree with you. They had a meeting about this. We're going to hear it read about in a minute. And the very beginning, they wanted to say, we don't put any barriers in the way of people trusting Jesus. It doesn't matter who the type is. We're going to open the door as widely as possible, not narrow it down for only a religious type of person. The readings from Acts chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to 35. So certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles 
should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people from his, for his name for the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement of this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will restore. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood, For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers, following letter. Apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia, greetings. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they, de- where they gathered the church together and delivered Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, 
they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Interesting thing about that story to me is that um, they didn't just sort of say, what a bunch of, you know, sticklers those people in Jerusalem are. You know, we've seen the church in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas was, which was full of non-Jewish people. It was a pretty, like, lively uh, affair. They didn't just say, those people in Jerusalem with their knives, can we just be in a different church to them? We're doing the business here. We can have a weird religious Jerusalem church and, you know, a church for normal people down here in Antioch. But they weren't happy to settle for that, churches for different uh, ethnicities, different backgrounds. Acts has been about the fact there's one church for all types of people. It's worth saying that in the ancient world, that was a pretty radical uh, symbol. I hope if you're here today and you're a modern British person, you are committed to equality. Equality is important and you should be committed to it. But it's worth noting that this is a Christian principle. It's your radical Christian heritage that means you should treat people as equally. Anyway, they head up to Jerusalem, the reverse journey that they'd taken as they were going to spread the gospel. And as they got closer to people more connected to Judaism, all those Christians were delighted that these irreligious, non-Jewish people have received the Holy Spirit. So as they get closer, no one's got any problem with them being Christians. And there is some joy when they get to Jerusalem, but there's also a little bit of a Barney. Some Christians, and they were Christian believers, said, okay, fine, it's all very well inviting these people to join the church, but really, party should be over now. You know, you all got a bit wild with the Holy Spirit there in the wilds of the world. Well done. But we need to bring some order to this now. Can you just tell them they need to follow the Jewish law? And there's lots of debate. Well, that might sound like an obscure debate to you. I'm not aware of anybody in our church teaching that today, but it still happens. Where people who are used to behaving in a religious way expect people who aren't to behave in that way if they're really going to be Christians. I was reading a story recently about a church youth group who decided to have a pool party. It was not in the UK. Uh, They decided to have a pool party outside one summer and all the youth group could invite their friends. And the youth group leader said, well, it's fine to invite your friends, but you must tell those uh, girls who aren't Christians they mustn't wear two-piece swimming costumes. And the kids in the group said, if we say that, none of them will come. And he was like, well, they need to learn how to behave properly then, don't they? Christians are always at this, saying we expect you to change your behaviour before you can really be a Christian. And that's the debate that they have. And the first thing we see about it is, Peter says, one mountain, one path. Uh, The religion that they were part of had loads of external marchers of virtue, and circumcision was one, which seems strange to us, but it was a culture with lots of communal nakedness, so it did mark you out immediately as being uh, religious. But Peter, when they go to talk to him, Peter is like the daddy. Peter is like the daddy of the church. He's like the first one who ever told anybody this message. So what is Peter going to say about this question? And he says, listen, remember back when I was the first person to tell anybody about Jesus after the birth of the Holy Spirit? I love that. It's a little 
quite a nice way to start your speech, isn't it? Like, just remember, I'm speaking here as the first person who ever did this. You know, the first person who ever preached in the Holy Spirit for all the people. Just putting that out there before I give my opinion. Remember, when I did that, people's hearts were cleansed by faith. That is to say, people did not say, yes, Peter, we'd like to join your religion. People said, wow, I have really encountered the real God in my life. And then he went on to say, remember when we all were Jewish guys and we didn't believe in Jesus before this. Remember that none of us actually kept the law we were telling everybody else to follow. We never kept it. And our forefathers never kept it either. So we have to believe we are all saved by the kindness of Jesus and they will be too. And so he says, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that we or our ancestors have never been able to bear ourselves? We were never able to do it. Are you aware of the phrase in social media, this you, hun? I've come across it. It's where like someone tweets something to sort of show their virtue and then someone trawls back through their old tweets and discovers they've actually tweeted the opposite before. And so they put up that original tweet and say, this you, hun? It's because self-righteous types are always easy to catch out. People who are imposing rules on other people are always, it turns out, never keeping those rules themselves. Just think of, dare I mention it, Downing Street parties. Peter says the law is a yoke that we were never able to carry. So why on earth are we trying to tell others to do it? The truth is, guys, my hope, your hope, everybody's hope is only the kindness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit enters your life and starts to remake you. And that's why, he says, we can't go around having different types of churches for different types of people. It's why Christians today can never say, oh, that person, they'll never become a Christian. Or that you can't find anyone in church and think, oh, we wouldn't want someone like that here. And we never say, oh, I don't mix with that type of Christian unless they learn to follow my rules. It's worth seeing Peter's story is like sad, happy, sad, happy. It's sad that you have to realise you never kept the law. But it's happy because you can be reconciled with God through Jesus. But it's sad because then those people I've always thought that I'm better on, I'm not better than at all. They're the same as me. But then it's happy because I belong to this new family, not by blood, but by people who trust Jesus. That includes every type of person in the world. And that leaves me challenged. How do I live in love with all of these people who are so different to me? Peter, the daddy of the church, made that journey. I'm a Christian, you think, wow, it's amazing to be a Christian. Maybe you're sad because you've realised that means you're not better than all the people around you. Maybe you're happy because you're not better than all the people around you. That means we're one big family. Or maybe you've gone through all of that and now you're just living with the challenge of like, hmm, that means I actually have to love these people instead of standing apart from them. But here's the thing that Peter is being very clear about. This is not just for, quote-unquote, religious types. This is all about religious types learning it is not just for them. 
It is a free invitation we choose to accept or not accept. Second thing we see, and this is James speaking, who's another important person. Paul and Barnabas tell the stories of all the Gentiles becoming Christian. Then James, who's another big cheese, he chips in. And he says, guys, it's not even just experience that tells us this must be true. God did actually say in the prophets, the first bit of the Bible, that this would happen. And he quotes the book of Amos, which is about the people of Israel at their worst time. And Amos said then, God will rebuild the country of Israel, but not through having a geographical country of Israel, by bringing all sorts of different people to join the nation that we are now part of. And here we are, James is saying. We are at our lowest point ruled over by the Roman Empire. But what we're seeing is that out of Israel, out of Jesus and his Jewish followers, a great nation is growing including people from all over the world. We're not uh, sneaking away from the empire trying to stop it. It's that an unstoppable force has been unleashed on the world, building a great nation of people bound by Jesus. This is a good theological method he has, by the way. Just he's, He sort of says to everybody, it's not just our experience, it's also in the Bible, which is a very good way to test your experiences any time. And so he says, it is my judgment we shouldn't make it difficult for the nations who are turning to God. If this is what God's doing in the world and he's building this new nation, we should be making it as easy as possible for them to join, not as hard. I guess, as a circumcised man, he got that. I love that logic. Given that God said he would do this unstoppable thing in history, we should probably stop trying to stop it. We're going to have our church AGM later on, and in uh, when we have discussions about Christian meetings and what we're going to do in them and stuff like that, sometimes we have like people saying, well, I don't really like it when we do this, or I do like it when we do that. And you see, if you were to start that sentence, you'd start it by saying, because it's important that I like church, therefore I don't like this or I do like that. James is basically saying, can we start this sentence a different way? He says, because God is building our people from all over the world, what should I do? What should I think? How should we act? What should church do? That's the start of the sentence. He gets, it's really uncomfortable for these people who've only ever mixed with Jewish people their whole lives to say, the nations join us too. But he says, if God's doing this, what should we do to not get in the way? It's how Christians live. We don't get in the way of what God's doing because God is rebuilding a people by including the nations, I should what? To not get in the way of that. It's a strange little people group. No one in the world heard of them really until Jesus came along and made Jewish people famous. At this stage, they were a small subjugated group in the ancient world. But through that little strange people, God's rebuilding the whole of creation. And through this strange little group of people, no offence to you, but we're all strange, God's rebuilding the whole of creation. And we invite you, because he's unstoppably doing that, to join in. He's building a new humanity. 
there's a thing called bait and switch. People do it to animals. Where you like hold a carrot out in front of a donkey to get it to do what you want it to do. And so it comes to you to eat the carrot and then you like whack it to keep it in place. People do it apparently herding cows, I'm going to guess. But when I thought I read it at first, because they seem to clear up, no, these people don't have to obey the Jewish law to join the church. But then James says, let's just set them a letter saying they should obey these bits. Don't eat meat from idle feast, meat from strangled animals and blood, and also sexual immorality. I mean, it's a strange list, isn't it? Like, one of those seems like a much bigger deal to me than the other two. Why mention those? Is it bait and switch? Yes, you can come in, but you don't have to obey the Jewish law. Oh, but now you're here. No strangled animals or sexual immorality. If you're into those two things. But interestingly, when they receive the letter, the church, they're read it and are glad for its encouraging method, message. And they have like a worship party with Judas and Silas teaching them and they send them back with the blessing of peace. So this relationship of equality does form. So why these strange instructions? Well, James says it's because in the place where these churches are, there have been Jewish people, communities there, reading God's law in those places for years. And I think he's saying this, we are still Jewish and we would still love for those people of our ethnicity and background to know there's one God, to meet the Messiah, Jesus. And they are going to be totally put off if you say, yeah, yeah, we read your Bible now, but we do all the things that you find scandalous. They're going to be totally put off. So we are telling you, you don't have to obey this law to be a Christian, but we are asking you, please do limit your lifestyle, not because you have to to be a Christian, but because it will help in the bigger mission of people coming to know Jesus. This looks like a small disagreement in a far-off land about religious stuff. In fact, it's the birth of a new humanity because it says there's nothing you have to do, there's no law you have to follow, no background you have to be from to be a Christian, but when you join God's people, the Holy Spirit comes into your life in this project to rebuild a new people, and it just becomes normal that you miss out on things you want because it will point other people to Jesus. Because you're taken up in that great mission. One of the things we do in our church is send mission partners to work for God in other parts of the world. And we was talking to one of them this week, in fact. And one of the things that our mission partners often say is, there's so much to learn about being in a different culture. It's actually painful. But... I don't usually find them complaining. They're saying it's hard, but they're also saying it's a joy to do it because it's all part of these people meeting Jesus. We're taught in our culture to really express ourselves as individuals. That's the important thing to happen. And the gospel says, well, you don't have to stop expressing yourself to be a Christian, but... You might choose to because it will help other people become Christians. And it'll be a joyful experience to throw yourself behind that mission. Or it might work the other way. You might come in here and think, oh, I have to change myself to fit in with everybody else here. So I fit in with the culture in this church. That's also not helpful. 
We all don't want to be the same as each other. That will be rubbish for reaching people who are not like us. No one who's really a Christian here at this church thinks what they are doing makes them closer to God. But their lives are different because they're joyfully saying, I wouldn't really choose this, but I joyfully do it because there's a greater mission. I put aside a political view or a background or something I have, I happily put it to one side to help you reach people you know. Maybe you're not a religious type. Good. Religious types were the ones who had to learn something different in this passage. But if you're not, I suspect you think that inclusion is important because people It's true. But it comes from here. These are the first people who really worked that out. Because of God's nature, you shouldn't be pushing people out all the time. You should be drawing people in all the time. And that means whether religious or not religious, you'll find no matter who you are, your background, your current beliefs. An invitation to include you. It's not an invitation to come and be yourself. Neither is it an invitation to come and be like us. It's an invitation to meet God. And that radically transforms your life so that what matters to you is other people meeting God. There may be religious types, there were in the earliest church, who make you feel like you shouldn't be here. They're wrong. You might be a religious type who'd feel a bit more comfortable if people like that kept their distance. You're wrong. In fact, as we give up things that matter to us joyfully because it's more important that people hear about Jesus, that's being truly human. Baptism is obviously a picture of all of this. You can't baptise yourself. It's done to you because it's a picture of what's happened. God's poured out his spirit, taken your new life away and given you a new life. There is no barrier to who can have that new life. But when you start living it, a different set of things begin to matter.